Welcome to the Citizen Podcast. My name is Cade Heppelman, here today with Will Abrahamian. We're classmates at Malvern Prep and members of the Citizen Speaker Series, a student-created and led program dedicated to celebrating and sharing stories of positive social impact. On the podcast today, we have Jack Tamarcio, a Malvern Prep grad from the class of 1973, here to share his remarkable life story, which included being in the military, practicing law, and partaking in national security matters. Hi, Mr. Tamarcio, and thank you so much for coming on to the Citizen Podcast. We're excited to have you here today and share your story with the Malvern community. Yeah, to start off, um, I'd love to hear a little bit about yourself. I know you're the class of 1973 here in Malvern, so just start off uh, about your time in Malvern and kind of where you are today. Okay, well, uh, I entered Malvern in the fall of 1969, long before you guys were born, and uh, I entered Malvern through the doors of Stewart Hall, which was then called um, the Student Union Building. And uh, when we were here, it was a, uh, had a wooden floor, it had been a basketball court, and uh, in the middle of the floor, there was a second, second story, and there was a balcony, and there were lockers all around the first floor there. Everybody's lockers, everybody had your lockers in there, a lot of lockers were in there. And there was a big jukebox playing, and they were playing, um, uh, a Rolling Stones uh, uh, f- f- uh, uh, song, and um, I never forget that. I walked in, and it was all this. I was scared because I was only 14, you know. And um, I heard this large. Uh, the door opened. I heard all these like a couple hundred kids talking at once. It sounded like going into the Roman Colosseum as a Christian, and you're going to face the lions, you know. Um, and uh, they were playing the Rolling Stones song, Honky Tonk Woman was playing on on the jukebox. So uh, I graduated from here in 1973, spent four great years here, really enjoyed it. Um, feel like I kind of grew up here, um, had great classmates. Uh, we started with 134 classmates, or 143 classmates. We were the largest class in history. We graduated 99. Um, by the first semester, they were flunking guys out. Um, and uh, by the end of the sophomore year, we lost 15 kids um, due to academics, due to kids moving away, and due to kids' uh, parents who couldn't afford the tuition, which uh, when I started was, I think, $700 a year. Um, that's probably what it costs for your books now. Um, anyway, great school, graduated from here in 1973, went off to college, graduated from Penn State in 1977. Um, when I graduated, I uh, um, at the same time I graduated, I was a history major, but I graduated in '77 with a, uh, a degree in history, um, and uh, I was commissioned in the United States Army through Army ROTC at Penn State, where I received an ROTC scholarship. And so the day I graduated, I became a lieutenant in the United States Army, and then uh, went off to uh, Airborne School, which you might not know what that is. That's uh, where they teach you how to be a paratrooper. So I went off to paratroop training um, with the Navy, interestingly enough, although I was in the Army. And then uh, went right from there right to law school. Uh, served in law, went, went in law school for three years in, at Vermont, Vermont Law. Graduated in 1980, still before you were born. And uh, then uh, went on active duty uh, several months later after passing the bar exam and becoming a licensed attorney. And went to uh, uh, the 82nd Airborne Division, which is at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, which is uh, the largest paratroop division in the United, in the, in the free world, uh, 15,000 Army paratroopers, the cutting edge of America's 
military force in the Army. Um, served there for four years, um, participated in the invasion of Grenada in 1983, before you were born, um, and uh, served a peacekeeping mission in the Sinai in 1984, before you were born, and um, then left the Army uh, in 1984 for return to the civilian, in 85, returned to civilian life uh, as an attorney in Philadelphia with um, large law firms, was a, was a litigator, which means I was a trial lawyer and uh, tried a lot of cases, tried a lot of cases in the Army, tried a lot of cases in, in uh, civilian practice, and um, stayed in the Army Reserve um, and uh, eventually retired from the Army Reserve in 2010 as a full colonel, um, and then deployed in, 19, uh, in 1991 to, uh, 1991 to uh, the, uh, not the Sinai, uh, uh, the Middle East, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, when Iraq invaded Kuwait in 1990, uh, Operation Desert Storm, served in Operation Desert Storm, and uh, was almost killed over there. Um, broke my neck, pulling a, a soldier out of a minefield who had, uh, his vehicle had hit a mine and blown up and he lost his leg. And uh, I went in to get him with another guy and we, we pulled him out of there. And uh, um, in the process of that, um, I broke my neck uh, doing that, so I was almost paralyzed, but uh, survived that. So um, came back to Pennsylvania, um, went back to practicing law, um, did a lot of interesting things, uh, started a couple companies, left the law firms, law firm world, started a couple companies, and uh, eventually um, sold a couple companies, and, and then was honored by uh, President George W. Bush to be selected uh, to be a uh, uh, Undersecretary of Homeland Security for uh, counterterrorism and, and, and intelligence, and we were going after Al Qaeda in those days, um, and uh, served three years doing that. Um, I now uh, I now work in my own company. I have my own company working in the area of uh, national security. I do a lot of investing in national security technologies. Um, these are companies that make things that are utilized by the intelligence community, the military. Uh, Homeland Security um, and the Department of Defense and so uh, my partners and I work in that area. Um, I'm doing a lot of work right now with regard to Ukraine um, uh, at the classified level and uh, we're, uh, we're in the fight so that's a little bit about me. Wow yeah that's a amazing story. Um, I guess my first question would be when you graduated from Malvern what did you have you always knew you wanted to go to the military or study law or kind of just come about during college? Um, yeah, I, I do, did, did want to go in the military. Um, I wanted to go in the military because I felt that it was important. My, my father was in the military in, in World War II. All my uncles served in World War II. I felt that American citizens have a, have a, have a, a mandate to serve their country, whether it's in the military in uniform or whether it's in another capacity. Um, and I still believe that. And so I was very proud to go in the military. Um, so yeah, that was something I wanted to do even at Malvern. Um, the law thing came around later on, um, deciding what I would want to do in the military. Um, you know, when I joined the military, I had to go through basic training, and I had to go out in the bush and get all all dirty and muddy and stinky and, and, and run through the mud and stay up for lots of hours without any sleep. I'm like, oh, this kind of sucks. I don't know if I want to do this for the rest of my life. So somebody said, well, there are other things you can do. I'm like, like what? Like you can become a military lawyer. I'm like, oh, that sounds like a good idea. So uh, anyway, I thought that would be interesting. I thought, you know, I was a history undergrad major, and, and with a history degree, what do you do with a history degree? You either go to become a history teacher or become a history professor. Didn't want to do either of those. So um, 
I thought being an attorney would be interesting. It would be uh, fascinating. You get to learn a lot. You get to you get to do cool things. You get to try cases, you know, like you see on TV. And I got to do that, and that was really fun for me. So um, um, the military was something that was early on with me. The law thing came later. And can you uh, talk a little bit about how the military and your experience there affected you later in your career? You touched on your experience uh, working under uh, George W. Bush and uh, Homeland Security and Foreign Affairs. Sure. I mean, the military is, is usually it's about the projection of power overseas. Um, you know, we, we have peacekeeping operations, we have wars, um, and I was always interested in travel. I was always interested in foreign policy. I was always interested in history. It was interesting to me uh, to learn about other cultures. And um, um, the, inter- the military gave me a vehicle to, to go to other places. I've probably been to 45, 50 countries. Most of those I went there because of the military, some way, re- regard or other. I mean, I, I got to live in Egypt. I got to live in, I got to live in Israel. I got to go to Spain. I got to go to Turkey. I went to Bulgaria. Places that, you know, who goes to Bulgaria? You know, I mean, it's an opportunity in a lifetime to do this kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I, I think that that, that that kind of experience was invaluable. The other thing the military taught me was discipline. You know, I mean, you got, you got a lot of discipline in the service. And um, uh, even though I was late today for our podcast, and I apologize for that, um, usually I'm on time. Um, but, you know, because in the military, if you say you're going to be somewhere and you're not there, you, people, some people kind of, that people get killed. You know, and you're not there in time. Like, hey, we'll be there to help you out. You don't show up and the guys are all dead. So, I mean, they taught us to, you know, to try and do things right and do things by process. So I learned a lot of um, discipline in the military. It was, a, it was a value, invaluable. And it was invaluable, too, because it helps you manage stress, you know, because the military puts you under very stressful conditions um, every day. And they test you uh, in a stressful condition, a stressful environment. And, um, you know, you have to perform. I mean, it's stressful to jump out of an airplane. You know, no matter what you think, like, oh, that's easy. No, you're, you're scared. If somebody says they're not scared, they're probably lying to you because it's not an usual thing to jump out of an airplane. Um, it's a stressful thing to run through a minefield and pull a guy out of a, out of a vehicle that's been hit by a mine. It's a stressful thing to get shot at. I mean, I've had that. It, it gets your attention. But again, the military teaches you to handle, you know, grace under pressure. You know, it's, uh, it's Hemingway said, courage is grace under pressure. I don't know about that, but uh, it does teach you that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's definitely very interesting how, how much the military affected you. Uh, something I've always learned about the military is that you can have a lot of relationships. Um, do you have any special relationships with the military that you want to touch upon? Sure. I mean, you, you meet, meet a lot of guys. Um, in the military, and, and they're but you're friends for life, um, and and it's a very small world. I talked to a guy this morning, um, who was a uh, uh, a retired colonel um, in the army, and his brother is a retired colonel in the army. His brother was fairly famous, if you remember, back in the uh, uh, the time of the first impeachment he- uh, hearings uh, for Donald Trump. There was a guy named Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Vindeman. And he was a Ukrainian, born in Ukraine, raised in the United States, became a U.S. Army officer. And he was the guy that heard uh, President Trump talking to, to Vladimir Zelensky and saying, you know, you've got to find some dirt in Joe Biden. And, and that, that, that turned into an impeachment hearing. Well, this guy was his twin brother. Um, and uh, I'm doing some work probably with the Vindeman brothers. Uh, and, and the thing about that is we had this talk. I never met this guy before. But 
he said, well, you know, what unit were you in? I said, I was in this unit. He says, I was in that unit too. Different time. And we knew a million people in common. And I found out one thing is that you get, get tremendous relationships in the service because you're in usually doing uncomfortable things. You're doing things that most people don't do. And that, that builds a trust. It builds a, builds a, a balance between you, uh, a bond between you that uh, uh, most people in the civilian world don't ever get to experience. I mean, you can work with a, you know, work with a guy who's a coworker next to you in, in a cubicle or next desk or the next office, but nothing, nothing cements a bond when you're jumping out of an airplane in the middle of the night, you know, carrying 90 pounds of equipment and you can't see the ground. Um, nothing cements a bond when you're, you know, going into a combat operation in a, in a foreign country um, with your colleagues. So. It, it's that's why you, you get close to your your pals and following your work in the army and law you transitioned to government working for homeland security there uh, what was that uh, transition like what caused it and what work did you do in homeland security that's a that's all that's a that's a complicated question um, what caused it was uh, purely accidental accidental um, I was assigned as a colonel, as a reservist at, to the Pentagon. And I worked in an area called OSD Solik, Office of Secretary of Defense, Special Operations, Low Intensity Conflict. We were the guys that oversaw all the operations of special ops around the world, Navy SEALs, Army Rangers, Green Berets. Um, and we were, we were the policy guys that, that put together the policies for all these, these deployments around the world. I got asked to do a special project um, by my boss. And the special project was to determine whether the United States Department of Defense used or misused, used or misused intelligence to justify the invasion of Iraq. If you know a little bit about this, the reason we invaded Iraq was because we thought that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction, which he did not have. Or if he did, he destroyed them, but he didn't have them. And that's why we went in there. That was the, that was the, the, the reason to do that, the justification to do that. So I had to lead a team to understand whether that justification was valid or whether it was invalid. And um, that was a classified project, and we did it. And as a result of that, um, we, we published our findings, which they classified, so I can't talk about them, unfortunately. But as a result of that, uh, as a result of that, um, my name all of a sudden floated to the top in Washington and I got all these phone calls from people uh, that I didn't know, asking me if I would be interested in coming to the government. And I got five job offers. I turned them all down because they were jobs I didn't want to do. I didn't need a job. I had a job. I was a lawyer in a, in a big firm in Philadelphia. And I didn't need to go to Washington, D.C. and take a pay cut and work for the government. Um, but then they offered me this one job that was really interesting, which was to be the deputy for all homeland intelligence, all what we call threat intelligence, threat intelligence coming in the United States 24-7 to run, to be the deputy to run an operation all over the country and even worldwide where we're monitoring all the threats to the country. I thought that was incredibly cool to do that. Incredibly hard, incredibly important, and was literally the hardest job I ever had in my life. People said, what's that like to do that? I said, it's like combat operations except you're wearing a suit. You're not wearing a uniform. And it, yeah, I carried a phone 24-7. I had a classified ST3 phone installed in my house in Newtown Square. Uh, I carried a Q6, Q-Sec 5, 6,000 that looked like 
1980 cell phone about that big on my, on my hip. I carried a Blackberry and I carried a, a classified cell phone. Um, I looked like Batman with a utility belt. I carried so much stuff on me. Um, and we did amazing work. It was like scary stuff. We would get these calls about, you know, we have intelligence that there's a small craft transiting New York Harbor between the Battery and the Statue of Liberty. There are three men aboard and we believe they have a nuclear device and they're going to detonate it within the next hour and wipe out New York City. That's a true story. And that would come to us. Usually one of my special assistants would come in, pop his head in my office and say, sir, we have a situation. I hated that. I hated a situation, man. It was bad. Because you knew it was going to hit the fan. A situation was bad. And in that case, it didn't turn out to be what it was. But we didn't know that. So you go to all hands on deck. I mean, it's it's like battle stations. Everybody's running around, everybody's hair's on fire, you know. And you're trying to determine, is that intel real or is it just white noise? Is it false? Is it disinformation? Is it misinformation? Is it just an out-and-out -out lie? Or is it the real deal? If it's the real deal, you got some big problems. We used to have to do that, not every day, but once in a while those things would happen. So that's a lot of high stress level to deal something like that. Yeah, that's definitely got to be a lot of pressure. Um, so today, do you still have to, do you still keep in contact with those people and have to stay classified as you did previously? I, I, I do keep in contact with one of my former colleagues because, again, they're your colleagues. They become your friends. And I do work in, now I do now work, still work in certain projects at the classified level. Yes, I do. Um, once you leave this, once you're in this world, it's called the intelligence community, which stands for, we call it the IC. Um, you never leave. And you do leave, but you don't leave. And I didn't know that. And I had dinner once with the deputy director of the CIA, a female, graduate of the University of Notre Dame. And we were having dinner in New York City. And she said to me, so what, are, she said to me, what are you going to do when you leave? I said, well, I'm going to go back, to, you know, and go back to work and practice law or do whatever I'm going to do. And she said, no, 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 no. I said, what do you mean, no, 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 no. She goes, don't you understand? You don't ever leave. I'm like, what do you mean you don't ever leave? She goes, a guy at your level, a pretty high level, with your background, you'll leave, but you'll always be connected to us. I said, get out of here. Come on, you're sounding like, you know, the Hotel California or something like that. You can check out any time you want, but you can never leave. She goes, exactly. And she said, within 60 days, 60 days, two months, after you get out of here, you go back to the civilian world, you'll be contacted. I said, what is this, like some spy movie or something, you know? And sure enough, within 60 days, I got a phone call. Some guy he said, hi, I'm so-and-so, and I'm with the U.S. government. I knew exactly what that meant. He said, perhaps we should get together. I said, okey-doke, and we did. And that was in 2008, and I'm still doing it. So you don't leave. Yeah, with all, I mean, with all these... Uh people talking to you, it definitely has to affect your family also. Can you explain a little bit about how uh, your family was affected through this process and how you had to keep them kind of out of it during this time? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I had this, 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 this thing, this ST3 phone, which is a classified scramble phone in my, in my den at home. I told my kids, uh, my son was a Malvern kid, uh, he was a freshman at Malvern then, we called it the bat phone, and I said, 
if this bat phone ever rings and I'm outside, you've got to come and get me immediately. And you can't, you just got to literally come out. It's like a fire. It's like a fire, uh, a fire alarm. And I said, and when you get me and I pick up that phone, you have to leave the room. You can't listen to what I'm going to say. And they're like, dad, no. I'm like, no, dad, yeah. You know? And uh, it's, it's hard. I mean, you know, when you do these jobs, you're away from your family a lot. You have to travel. I worked in Washington, D.C. I lived in Newtown Square. I still live in Newtown Square. So I would leave Monday morning to go to Washington, come back Friday night. Now, I had to be in Washington. I could have gone down Sunday night, but I didn't want to. I wanted to spend as much time as I could at home. So I'd leave Monday morning, which meant I had to be there. I had to be there in a suit, in my office, in a classified intelligence briefing at 06 a.m. Monday morning means I had to get up at 2.30 in the morning, take a shower, shave, put on a suit, and drive to D.C. to be down there by 6 o'clock. Let me tell you, by, by 2 o'clock, you're like ready to fall asleep. And, you, and then for the rest of the week, it's just work, 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 work. You come in at 6.30, 6 o'clock in the morning, you leave at 8 o'clock at night. And I went back to my little hotel, my little hooch, and you just crash. And you get up and do it again. It's hard. But you know what? It's government service. You're doing a good thing. And we didn't have one American die through a, a terrorist attack in the United States when we were when our guys were in office. We were very proud of that. So it's a good thing. That's amazing. And for our uh, last question, uh, which is one that we ask all of our guests, at Citizen we have our Citizen Moment, which is the moment at which one realizes that they want to make an impact and choose to make an impact. So what was your citizen moment, the point where you became dedicated to your journey? Every day was my citizen moment. Every day. Probably the most, some of the most compelling things for, to me that were the day that I took my oath of office as, a, as an officer in the United States Army. That was important. The day that I took my oath of office <clears throat> as an undersecretary in the Department of Homeland Security. Um, the day that I retired from the army, uh, I only had uh, people have big, big, big fancy ceremonies. I didn't have that. I didn't want that. I went down to the Pentagon. I went down to my where my headquarters was in the Pentagon, and I went up to uh, the guy who was there. He was a two-star general. I knew him as a captain. Um, he, he was a, he was an old buddy of mine. He stayed in the army full time, and he retired me. He he gave me put a medal on me and he retired me, and. Uh, and you know, shook my hand, certificate, and then a guy showed up. As we, right, we were getting ready to do this, this guy I hadn't seen in about 15 years, one of my military colleagues who I didn't even know worked in the Pentagon. He was a retired colonel, West Point grad. And I'm like, Rick, what are you doing here? And he goes, I'm here for your retirement ceremony. I said, Where do you work? What do you? Why? He said, I work downstairs. And I said, Well, thanks for coming. He said, I wanted to come because we all know what you did. And that's all that mattered to to what to me to hear him say that I wanted you to come. I wanted to come because we all know what you did. That was my colleague. That was my peer, and he made a special. Not that he had to come real far, but he came from downstairs. He made a special trip to say thank you, and that was a citizen moment, and that was pretty big. Kind of corny, but it's a big deal. Yeah, you're you're a man that seems to never stop and always has that what's next mindset, which is something I always try to keep within me. Mr. Jack Tamarchio, thank you so much for coming on. Your story was amazing, and we appreciate you sharing it with the Malvern community. Thank you. Thank you. Good to oh, be here. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to the My Citizen Moment podcast, where we profile members of the greater Malvern community making a change. If you enjoyed our conversation, make sure to follow our podcast. And for more content like this, follow our Instagram at citizen or visit our website, citizen.org, C-S-I-T-I-Z-E-N. Thanks.